Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Hello and welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of the weekly news headlines in law enforcement and policing. My name is Joe Vince, assistant editor with Officer Magazine. And with me this week is the man, the myth, the urban legend, Frank Borelli. I figured I'd give you a, I, I'd kick a little more flourish in with the, uh, with the introductions this time. I wasn't expecting that. I was like, <laughs> I was waiting for the pause. So I had to go, okay, am I doing it? Is he doing it? Am I doing it? Is he doing it? Nope. You just threw out the man, myth, and legend stuff. And now, all right, that's the podcast. Thank you all for listening. What else <laughs> is here? Just keeping you on your toes. I love it. Well, let, let's. Good oh, afternoon. Go let's get into this. I like this. Let's get right let's started uh, right away here. Our first story comes out of Los Angeles. Um, this is an ongoing story. Um, this week, a judge uh, rejected uh, the city's motion to uh, provide a temporary restraining order against the use of um, LAPD officers' photos and identities that were uh, released in a batch of... Uh, uh, public uh, records or requests, um, but also but included um, the identities, names, uh, photographs of undercover officers. Um, the department has said they had mistakenly released this, and now are looking to um, not only get them back but to stop the current dissemination of this. Uh, the judge stopped that from uh, happening. Um, right now, and the, these court cases are, are are still going through uh, the process. Um, but yeah, you want to talk a little bit about this, Frank? This drives me nuts, Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as a former police officer, and I never did undercover work. For the record, I never did undercover work um, since I I got out of the academy. Uh, about eight years out of, out of the academy, I had a badge tattooed on my chest. Yes, you all heard that right. I have a badge tattooed on my chest. I can't do undercover work. There was a reason for that. I know a guy, though, that I went to the academy with, and you're talking about 35 plus years ago now, who regularly does undercover work. And dude, I'm pushing 60, and this guy's still out there doing it. But here's the thing. His identity is protected and has to be. And you know, the, the people who expose undercover officers and this going through this article and you can see like these people discovered it, but then they gave it to this organization and this organization organization published it. And now they they're saying it's a violation of their First Amendment rights if they can't you, you know publish this stuff. Here's my thing. Everywhere we go, some information is classified, some information is protected and the information is protected and classified serves a purpose of protecting something else, whether we want to call it national security or undercover drug operations. Uh, you yourself do a, uh, a podcast about your father working undercover mm-hmm. for the ATF. You, you understand um, how important it was not only to his safety, but to the safety of the entire family that, um, you know, his identity his real name everything about him be protected now we have these people in in california 
that are being exposed. We have officers whose their information is being put online, and these people that are doing it, they're not just creating a risk or uh, you know an unsafe circumstance or whatever kind of wording you want to use. They are creating a threatening situation, not only for the officers, but the officers' spouses, parents, siblings, children. Um, it, it's at, at what point do we realize that there's a problem with this? And, and at the end of the day, if the courts decide the undercover officers' information can't be hidden, then that this if this becomes a nationwide thing, um, we're going to do away with undercover ops. That's how it's going to work. And then what do we do? How how do you penetrate some of the, the criminal organizations? Because this won't just affect city police or municipal police. What happens when the FBI can no longer put somebody undercover in the mafia? What happens when they can't penetrate a domestic terrorist cell? What happens when police officers can't penetrate a drug smuggling operation, moving dope, you know, like heroin and fentanyl and this other stuff from Texas to New York? What this would seriously hamstring us and and perhaps even worse. I mean, we have this duty to serve society, but doesn't society then have a duty to protect those who protect them? I mean, nobody's asking, look the other way while these guys are undercover committing crimes. We're not saying that. But to throw their name and their face and their information out there, you, you might as well just put a bullseye on their back. It's I'm really heated about this one. I, I it, this this pisses me off. I think one of the frustrating aspects of this is that when this was when these files were were sent over the department said no undercover officers are included um and it is mistakes like this um on the agency's part that it can put um officers in jeopardy um my dad in his home office used to have a little cartoon uh, picture hanging in, in there that said, um, the job isn't uh, finished until the paperwork is done. And the picture was a man sitting on the toilet. Um, <laughs> but the idea is, is that you have to take care of those, those unsavory aspects of, of any job. Yep. Um, and this is a case whether it be because um, the LAPD, like the departments all across the country, are uh, facing huge staffing shortages and are having trouble um, handling some of the more bureaucratic aspects of uh, of what the department does, or if it's something else, I don't know. But um, you're you're seeing a lot of these cracks. Uh, pop up um I, I think about dallas too where um i believe uh, the mishandling of how evidence was uh, tracked through the department is now jeopardizing a lot of different cases and it it wasn't there wasn't malfeasance it wasn't um even really wild neglect or incompetence but it is simply of just like oh you know what i i i I missed this thing on the on the thumb drive and not having any 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 backup for that. Um, Look, we're we're all human, okay? Mm -hmm. And humans make mistakes. And and take New York City PD. When you have 35,000 officers, 
that's there are going to be a lot more mistakes there than there are at the place where you got five officers, right? It's just simple math. It's not being critical of any agency. But when you have mistakes compounded by un, unfriendly courts and and um, what do they call it? Uh, progressive judges. That doesn't help us. I mean, why, why are they trying to make our lives more dangerous while we try to protect, protect society? That's just aggravating as all hell. And but, but I'm, I'm going to ask if we can move on because we yeah. talk about you were talking about budget. And right. We talk about manpower. And if I'm not wrong, our next story we want to talk about is Milwaukee City. And because of their budget problems, they want to shut down a whole district station. Right. They are um, the city is across the board is facing um, huge budget issues. Um, the department itself is looking at uh, having to cut close to seventy five million dollars, million dollars and four hundred employees. Yeah, and, and so a whole district uh, they're looking at shutting down as well as possibly. Uh, curtailing shifts in another district, and um, I believe uh, what there was. Um, let's see, and then uh, also possibly getting rid of the traffic traffic safety unit um, that tackles reckless driving. Um, and it does, yeah. This is, and again, this is across the city. I wanted to see where I believe Here's all city officials. Yeah. Forgive me for interrupting, mm -hmm. all right? But the, it, it, the article says that next year the city has to deal with $156 million budget shortfall. Okay. So they need to find $156 million, the whole city does, and they're going to find $75 million in that, half of it, just in the police department? Are they thinking the other half from the fire department? And I'm not picking on our, our brother's and the sisters that are firefighters, I'm, I'm criticizing them and taking it from public safety. Are they taking it from, from public waste? Are they taking it from water treatment? Are they taking it from roads maintenance? Number one, how does a city that big come up with $156 million shortfall unless they are seriously mismanaged or just giving away so much to welfare that they're losing control? $156 million, and they're going to take $75 million from law enforcement. The, the thing is, they're just passing the buck, quite literally, and pardon the pun. When the city doesn't have enough police officers to answer the calls, the county sheriffs and the state police are going to have to help fill in. And that, so that means the money's going to be spent someplace else. Manpower is going to have to be increased someplace else. What really hurts me is that 400 police officers, potentially, it says 400 employees, but all those people losing their jobs, and, and, and then what do they do? Number one, you're going to have a city that the crime rate's going to skyrocket, especially in that district. Number two, the the um, unemployment costs and everything else are going to go up. You just you're laying off 25% of your city in city um, staffing. The unemployment's going to go up. This is a downward spiral spiral for this city. I anyway, I could flick off about it more, but why are they taking half of their shortfall from the police department? That's got to be the dumbest thing I've seen a city council do in a long time. Well, the proposal, I mean, from what I understand is all the departments, all city departments were asked to look at get, cutting 25% of their departments. So, so, so the, again, the, the police department's cutting 75 million 
but that because that's twenty five percent of a larger budget is far less. Well, the twenty if you figure twenty five percent of us, you figure police departments are probably budgeted have the largest the one of the larger budgets in the uh, in city government. So you figure twenty five percent of that is going to be a pretty sizable chunk as opposed to a department that might have a smaller operating budget to begin with. And I get that 25% is 25% and it, it hurts people in proportion, but I would submit to you that if you cut roads maintenance by 25%, it's not quite as devastating as when you cut law enforcement by 25%. Oh there's, yeah. There's an attached crime increase to the law enforcement budget cut. And there's an, uh, you know, there's an attached insurance claim increase to the roads maintenance failures. Um, it, I'll make the prediction that within three years, Milwaukee's going to have to do an about face because they're going to see their their crime rates skyrocket. Number one, and they're going to see uh, employer employees start looking for other jobs that are more secure um, in and around the area. And they're going to they're not only are they going to have to cut employees, they're going to have to find a way to salvage employees, and they'll be doing what we've seen other places do, going, "Hey, stay another two years, and we'll give you fifty grand." Yeah, you know, they're they're going to get desperate for help. And I think that was a good point too. You made is that it it all of those things start feeding off of one one another. Where where you you hit the unemployment, crime goes up, and it just becomes a vicious cycle. Yep, yep. yep. Next story, um, <clears throat> and apparently we're sticking with uh, places where I've uh, lived in or am living in. <laughs> lived in Milwaukee. Um, spent a lot of time in Indiana. So we're gonna we're. We're going to go to Indiana here. Um, starting in July, uh, a new state law will go into effect that uh, will set up a minimum bystander distance that police and firefighters can enforce of 25 feet. Um, and this is a way to codify safe. pretty much just a safe distance. Yeah, what yeah, that safety. is instead of instead of having sort of the a vague amorphous type of it, just within safe distance, 25 feet. Hey, boom. If you're, if you're closer than that, I, you know, I, I got to run you off. So, well, um, so we've always run into the challenge though, Joe, you got, you got some emergency that occurs and police officers trying to get into it and people all crowding around because everybody wants a good look and they want the best view on their cell phone camera and you tell them move back, stay back, whatever. And they don't do anything. Now, the police officers either have to push them back physically or deal with the minimum space allowed. I love the fact that this law sets this minimum bystander distance of 25 feet starting July 1st. But I would point out to all my fellow police officers, especially those in Indiana, excuse me, that there is these one one caveat. It says uh, minimum bystander distance if a police officer orders a person to stop. When the officer is lawfully engaged in the execution of his or her official duties, if you're in uniform, it's official and you're executing it. So it applies the whole time you're on duty. Make sure you understand that. Second thing, um, the, the, the law specifies that police and firefighters are entitled to clear an area of 25 feet from any emergency incident or a greater distance if the area is marked using flags, barricades, or emergency tape. I used to walk around with about 5,000 feet of barricade tape in my trunk. So this 25 foot, 
that's great. But you can make it 100 if you can tape it off. So remember that and make sure you have that tape in your trunk. I like the fact that it says police or firefighters because I really want to see how the firefighters do it. I'm thinking two-inch attack line on high-pressure water, and they'll be pushing people back pretty quick. Well, <laughs> you know, these I like the idea, too, talking about emergency scenes because week in and week out when I'm um, running these stories from across the country – more and more, I, I'm seeing uh, people in crash scenes um, where officers are being in danger that they shouldn't be from motorists and people getting so close or from crowding an area that creates um, creates hazards that don't yeah, that don't need to be there. Um, Especially for for things such as accidents, um, like you said, lollygaggers, people who are gawking. Um, so I, you know, it, I I think um, sometimes it, there just needs to be um, a little more common sense to, you know, uh, you know, just thank staying you for away. Saying the words common sense, but you know what? We wouldn't need a law like this if people had common sense. Well, you know, I say that and I will catch myself um, when I hear sirens, um, the reporter and me thinking, oh, I better, you, you know what, let me, let me, let me go see where that's coming from. There, there might be a story there. So I, I know that I've got that in me and I, I try to fight it sometimes. Oh, I have uh, to fight the, let me go back somebody <laughs> up because I can't do that anymore. But I like this law. I think more states ought to emulate it. They really ought to avoid doing what Chicago's doing. That's my that's my segue into our next story. How smooth was that? You are picking up the segues big time. This this uh broadcast. Next story. Um Chicago police stations are now becoming temporary shelters for an influx of migrants who have been coming here from Texas um a lot of times in buses sent uh by uh, governor abbott um i believe let's see over six thousand migrants um have been coming to the city since last fall um and get now they are ending up um sleeping in in lobbies uh, i believe the the story we ran um and on thursday um there was one individual who had chicken pox and was um, brought to an emergency room. They kind of cleared him. A person was sent back and their symptoms got worse and they had to go to the hospital. Um, so it, again, a, a bunch of uh, one po problem compounding to create possibly even more. And you know what the funny part is? It, it's funny that nobody in Chicago is going to get blamed for it. They're, they're going to blame Governor Abbott for sending the migrants to Chicago. But uh, admittedly, Chicago needs to figure out its balance, okay? I, I agree with the, the um, Fraternal Order of Police President uh, John Catanzaro, Catanzaro Jr. up there. He says, you know, he's not knocking them, but these people now are living in the lobbies of police stations, which is ridiculous. And he's absolutely right especially if they're ill, bringing in sicknesses, diseases, anything else. And I feel bad for these people. But why would a city 
who says, we're welcoming you. We'll take you. Come and visit us. Then have no plan for dealing with those kinds of numbers that they should fully expect. I mean, th this is ludicrous. You want to talk about something that's bad for morale. Have your police officers go to a police station, which in, in a city as big as Chicago and in, in New York, you, that's their house, right? My district station is my house. Now I go to my house and there's not just the, the citizens from that district or from that, that area um, that are coming in to report crimes, to ask for help, for whatever. Now we've got migrants and not, nobody, nowhere does it say anything about whether these are people legally in the country illegally in the country, whatever, but they're just temporarily living in the police station. And I hate to say this, but if we have police stations having to house illegal immigrants, that is the ultimate insult and irony. It should never, ever happen. They should be being handed off to ICE and ICE should be shipping them out. Call me cold hearted. But if you've got people who've already broken the law, living with immunity in a police station, creating a hazard to public safety, that's the ultimate insult. All right, I get off my soapbox. No, and, and one of the issues too right now is uh, Chicago. We're in a transition uh, period between different administrations. Um, uh, much of this happened uh, under Lori Lightfoot's administration. Well, all of it happened um, because the new mayor has yet to be. Um, uh, inaugurated that uh, happens in May. So um, right now you're you're also seeing that um, that well it's not my job. Okay, well we have to get up to speed. So it, it I I hope that's not the case, but I I, I have a feeling it, it could get um, a little dicier. Uh, before well, it gets better. They can't run them out of the police station. You just put them on the street. Then they're going to deal with a, a greater number of homeless people, which means an increased crime rate. And I'm not saying homeless people commit crimes. They're often the victim of the crimes. But no matter how you look at it from either perspective, more homeless means more crime. Um, and, and that means an increase in service calls. So you can't run them out of the station, but it, it, it's unsafe and insulting and bad for morale to have them living in the station. The city needs to very quickly set up some type of mass shelter um and i'm gonna say it needs to be manned by ice not sure you know chicago should have liaison folks there chicago should have some say because it's there but they shouldn't have to foot the bill i mean this isn't uh chicago didn't open the border they shouldn't have to pay the price for it uh, chicago is a sanctuary city so it that well won't that they the should pay for but they should have a plan for it if they're going to announce it. it yeah. you, you said they're a sanctuary city, right? Uh, yes. Well, I, I guess, yeah, you'll have to thank Lori Lightfoot, whatever. Whoever declared that, if, if you if you declare yourself a sanctuary city and then you can't help the people coming there for sanctuary, you have failed in the first service of government. So anyway. Yeah, that and that um, that is... Uh... Rahm Emanuel. Well, you never mind. I'll leave that oh. alone too. I get myself in trouble. Um, um moving so, on. Let's so, talk about our finally, last story because it's last funny, story. And funny and I like it. The last, yeah. Um, back to Indiana. Um, a Hancock Sheriff's deputy uh 
got a call about uh, a woman who was driving along a, a, a an unsafe, dangerous stretch of, uh, of road on her electric scooter, and he stopped her and said, "Hey, look, this is this is a bad stretch." She's like, "Look, I'm new here. I just moved here from Ohio. I need to pick up some groceries. The grocery store is five miles away. There is no other route but this one. So, what does the deputy do? He just he advises her go home, goes and gets her." Um, groceries delivers it to her and also um puts together um a, a list of different ride resources um that hopefully are much more safe uh than uh the electric scooter um route that she was taking um so it it, it shows you kind of the um the day-to-day -day things that officers are doing um that seem really small, but actually go a long way to help to, for those people that are involved. You know, this is exactly the kind of story that ought to be on every newscast, but we'll never see it because it, it you know, nothing, nobody bleeds, nobody got hurt, nobody was injured. It's a, a feel good story. So the news doesn't want to have anything to do with it. it, it it's not going to help them sell advertising at higher rates. Um, but, but I love what this guy did. You know, this, this deputy, Josh, I don't know how you say his last name, Cochard, C-O-C-H-A-R-D. He, he sees this woman in, in, in what he considers to be an unsafe situation. And he would know he's been there. He understands she's new to the area, right? And I got raised, understand, I got raised on Andy Griffith. The cop's <laughs> first, first job was to help. Second was to educate. Third was to enforce. That's how I was raised, right? Now, maybe that's delusional in today's world. Maybe it's too idealistic, but that's how I was raised. So the idea of this deputy taking the time out of his day to, number one, make sure this woman's safe, send her home, get, get, get back home, get safe. This isn't safe. Then number two, to make sure she doesn't have to go back out, he goes and gets his groceries for her. And then number three, he says, look, here's all of your other options exercise one of them next time instead so honestly it's it's you could interpret it as selfish he doesn't want to do the accident report when she gets hit on the side of the road um but this this is a great story about a police officer acting with humanity and kindness and it ought to be on the front page of every newspaper in the country and it ought to be on every news broadcast but instead the mainstream media will make up some bs about something and they'll carefully edit it so they can increase sensationalism and increase their ratings and sell more advertising. And that's just a business model. My hat goes, I, mean, I hate, yeah, I got no use for them. I tip my hat to this deputy and, and I thank him for being an example of what law enforcement ought to be anytime we can be. And again, um, and I think of it too. It's interesting. You talked. You mentioned. You looked at it from the officer's side of that, and I look at it from that person who is new to the area. And you're new in new place. This all you've got is your electric scooter, and you've got to somehow get around, and you're by yourself. And you know, she certainly was trying to, um, you know do what she needed to do on her own. But you know how 
it, it's so helpful when you have someone who comes to your assistance and makes just a small task easier. It actually, it can, it can lighten the load for so many other things. And hopefully too, um, she ends up paying this forward as well. So. And that's all good. And, and it, it is interesting that we look at it from the different perspectives. Um, I just, I, again, I want to commend this deputy. I, I, we, we all need to learn from it. You know, the cars say protect and serve. Some say serve and protect. First, do no harm. Help out. O avoid the risks. Minimize them for the citizens. Th then worry about enforcement. But I really, I really like what this guy did. So, yeah, that's and, all. For and, him. and you know, it reminds me of something my dad had said that his dad had always told him uh, when it came to um, law enforcement work or anything is just just treat people like they're human beings and how you'd want to be treated. And that's going to get you started in the right spot every Isn't time. It's amazing how that golden rule applies. Yep. Yep. All right. That, that is all for this week. Thank you again for, uh, for checking us out. Uh, I would also encourage you um, to listen to some of our other podcasts. Um, you can find them on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And outside of that, um, I guess we'll see you next week. Indeed. It'll be interesting to see what the news brings us. Thanks, Joe. You have a good one. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Lineup. Please remember, the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.